also going to be in Romans 15 in our text today. If you want to follow along in Romans 15, you can turn in your Bible there. Maybe you've heard the story of John Getty. John Getty. Uh, not J.P. Getty, who was once the most uh, rich, wealthy man in the whole world, or not his son. You may remember John Paul Getty, who was kidnapped, held for ransom. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about John Getty with a D. He was a missionary to the South Pacific in 1840s, mid-1840s. He arrived at his destination in the South Pacific after being sent from his church in 1848. He was going to work among the AITM people there in the South Pacific. And when he arrived uh, to pour his life out along with his wife, He's going to share the gospel with a people who never heard it, ever. And he arrives and he finds out this is one of the most violent people groups, violent tribes on the planet at the time. First off, they've been persecuted by white traders and merchants who would come in and senselessly harm them. But even among themselves, this people was known for cannibalism savagery. They're infamous for whenever a husband would die, everybody in the village would get together and then they would kill the wife as well. Just awful stories that he encounters. And he's the only light there. John Getty and his family go about spending 25 years sharing, evangelizing, learning language like the limbo they're having to do, persevering through lots of uh, Harsh, harsh stories. And at the end of this, John Getty begins to see amazing fruit. People were being converted. People from other islands were coming over, wondering, what's going on with your tribe? Well, we're following Jesus now. How in the world could this be? After a long stint of ministry there, the Getty fam fam family finally left and there at the church where he had been a missionary preacher, they hung up a sign. And the sign said, when he landed here in 1848, there were zero Christians here. When he left in 1872, there were no unbelievers. God gave him this unforeseen fruit. Even today, if you look 175 years later, that people group is 95% Christian, even today. An amazing thing that happened there. And he didn't know that was going to happen. I could have told you a story of many other missionaries where they, from an earthly standpoint, they failed. They didn't have that kind of success. But God gave him an amazing work, and he didn't see it coming. And today here at TCC, as we celebrate Hope for All Nations Sunday, we try to connect with our workers, share how we can pray, open up windows of opportunities for you to give, we read through Romans and see what Romans has to say about this. I'm just going to ask you a question here. And the question is going to be, the question of the day is going to be, is God calling you to do missions? Is God calling you to do missions? What I mean by that is, does he want you to give? Or does he want you to go? Or does he want you to be praying diligently? 
Because that's what TCC aims to do. Think about the people who live here for a moment. If we just play devil's advocate, think about us here. We're coming out of COVID. Churches in America, they're stumbling a little bit, to be honest. Not as much people around in some churches in America. And they're asking the question, does God really want us to send people like the Limbles off, away from us? Is that the best strategy? Think about the practice of giving for a moment. Our mission's goal, 12500 Again, playing the devil's advocate. I think without much thought, I can find room in Raleigh for $12,000, right? We could do good stuff with that. Does God really want me to put my money towards missions overseas? That's a question we're going to ask. What about prayer? I'm not sure what your prayer looks like, the time that you devote to it, but when I devote time to prayer, it's pretty crowded. (laughs) I have my own heart. That's 95% of it, it seems, my own junk, right? Then I have my family, you know, you've got your job, and your dad, my dad's a mess, or I'm a mess because of what my dad did, you know. Do I really want to carve out a substantial amount of my prayer time to be praying for people I haven't met before? Those are the questions we want to answer here as we go through Romans 15, and they can all be summed up by saying, Is God calling you to do missions? I'll give it away. My answer is yes. Yes, he is. But I want to see it in the Bible because in the end, the biggest motivation for doing missions is going to come from the word of God. The spirit is going to pierce your heart. He's going to open your eyes and you'll know, yes, I want to be involved in this what God wants me to do. So that's what we're going to aim for today. First, I'm just going to walk through this text at the end of Romans 15, and then I'm going to try to make some connections to our lives today. All right, so that's where we're headed. Romans 15. We're going to begin where Ronger left off last week. We got all the way up to verse 22. So I'm going to walk us through this text. And what you'll see here is a missionary biography. In Romans, Paul does a lot of things. He talks about doctrine, talks about how you can live, and now he's switching to himself a little bit and telling his own story. We're going to pick that up in verse 22, so let's read this here. Romans 15, 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming To you. Again, Paul is telling his own story here. Here's what he's telling. He's writing about his desire to see the church in Rome. Paul is not in Rome, he's somewhere else, and he's writing to the church in Rome. That's why the book is called Romans. And he said, I really want to come see you. But I've been hindered in doing so. What? Why has he been hindered? He's been doing a massive evangelism, preaching, discipleship, church planting in another part of the world. And now he says, I'm ready to move on. Verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to see you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Hello. As I go on to Spain. Now, I'm going to circle back to these verses. 
in just a minute. But what I want you to notice here is as he was going to Rome, he was just passing through. He's written this whole letter to the churches in Rome only to get there and just pass through to Spain. He's introducing himself. He's introducing his gospel to the church in Rome. Why is he doing that? So that they would support him as he goes on to break new ground in the hitherfore to never engage Spain. Right? Italy is not Spain. So that's where he's headed. If you think about it, Romans is actually the entire book a missionary letter. That's much more than that, but it can never be less because he's writing to Rome and saying, I'm coming to you guys, and then I want to bounce over to Spain. I want you to send me on over to Spain. Remember in chapter 1, when he's just beginning the letter, chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. That's why he's working, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among the nation. That's how he starts the whole book. This week I got a letter here. It was from the guy, Eugene, who was introduced here to you. Here's the letter. You guys have all seen that. Maybe you get these at Christmas time from organizations, friends, people overseas. In his letter, he wrote this. I'm not asking you to read that. But I'm going to read what's up there. Uh, it's too small. Mm, he says, hey, this is us. The Pagarella family, Eugene, Mira, Martin, and we're from Kiev, Ukraine. We serve the Lord with FCA using sports and the abilities God gave me. Our ministry exists to bring hope to young people. I'm going to introduce them to Jesus while they're doing basketball. I'm using this as an example to say that's what Paul was doing in Romans. So the next time you receive a letter like this in the mail saying, hey, here's my updates, or you get a video update, Remember that Paul is doing the same thing when he's writing Romans. He's saying, hey, Rome, I'm going to come to you, and then I'm going to go, and I want you to get in on my going. Partner with me so I can reveal the glory of God to the people in Spain. All right. Uh, so what does he help to do in Rome? Verse 24. Back to the Bible. He wants to be helped on his journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while I'm going to come I'm going to enjoy you for a while and then I'm back on mission that's his travel agenda but now we had learned that he got another delay his first delay in going to Rome was he was preaching and evangelizing everywhere now he's going to talk about a second delay in his mission verse 25 he says at present however I'm going to Jerusalem that's not towards Rome and Spain. That's back down. I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid, aid money to the saints. Now, what's this about? Well, we know in history and from Acts 11 that in A.D. 46 through 48, there was a massive famine in Judea. Now, Paul's writing 10 years after the famine, but some of the folks in Jerusalem had lost everything. They're still swamped. They can't afford to pay for their needs. So Paul is going around planting new churches. And when he does this, he's asking them, hey, there's been a famine in Jerusalem. You want to give money towards that? I'll take it for you. If you look in verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia, these are areas of the world that are not Jerusalem, new places where he has planted church. 
They had been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual spiritual blessing, and they ought to be also of service to them in material things. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, then I will leave to Spain by way of you in Rome. So there's no Trello, no Venmo. Paul has to actually grab the money, take it all the way back down to Jerusalem, and then he's freed to go to Rome and go to Spain. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. What does that mean? I'm going to Judea, and I've got this money to give to the churches. Pray that I'll be delivered there. Well, remember Paul's backstory, right? He was a Jew. He called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, even to the point of when Christianity was born, Paul and his cronies didn't like it. They thought they were misrepresenting God, so he's going to go after them, even persecuting them unto death. Well, what happens? Paul gets converted. Now he's a Christian. He's one of the people that they were actually trying to put to death. So he's going back into the danger zone, and he's saying, church at Rome, pray for me. Pray for me as I go. Verse 32 Amen, amen, amen. You can read this verse if you want. Verse 32, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. So there you have it. It's a worthwhile biography of Paul and his missionary activity here. So what I want to do now is go back over the text a little bit and try to get at our question today. Can this text help you decide, is God calling you to do missions? First off, is God calling you to go? I I don't know. It's an honest question. It's not filled with guilt or pressure. Just ask it, is God calling you to go? And and let's understand what I mean by go. I told you we would circle back to some points of the text. So now let's look back to verse 23, and I'm going to connect that with verse uh, verse 19. So I'm going to couple the ideas from verse 19 and verse 23 together, because we can handle it. Verse 19, Paul said this. From Jerusalem... All the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, Illyricum is not a place that I can say, pronounce well. It's one of those Bible places I can't spell. In fact, I had a teacher in school who used to tell me, don't worry about your spelling, because when you get old, they'll be autocorrect. That's good. As a preacher, for that information, I remain eternally grapefruit, grateful. 
I mean, it's okay if you're reading through this, it's okay and you can't say the names of these places. This is Albania, all right? So he's saying that I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Albania. Holy smoke, do you know what he just said? I'm going to try to put a map up there in case you're like me, you're not a geography expert. Jerusalem, bottom right, Judea, Jerusalem. Albania, up there circled. Paul has just said, I fulfilled the gospel all in this region. By the way, here's Rome, Italy, Rome, and way over here you can see Spain. You can see what he's thinking. The last place the gospel is going to get to on this map is Spain, right? So that's where he's headed. But he says, all this area, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. And then in verse 23, he also says, I don't have any room for any work in these regions. And let me clue you in. Pastors don't talk like that. Pastors don't look over millions of people and see injustice, lack of education, lostness. And say, yeah, there's nothing for me to do here. Pastors usually say the opposite. Come on, guys, let's get all this done right here. And they invite you to do a bunch of stuff. It's not what Paul's doing. Why? Well, remember what motivates Paul. He reads his Old Testament a lot. And previously, we know he's reading from Isaiah 52, because he quoted from there. And also, he's been reading Isaiah 66. And these verses are telling him a secret. And they're actually guiding what he does with his life. Let me read Isaiah 52, 13 through 15 with you. This says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. This is a servant song in Isaiah 52. And we learn here that the servant of the Lord, who we know is Jesus, will reveal himself to non-Jews who haven't heard the gospel yet. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. That's talking about the death of Jesus. So shall he sprinkle many nations. There's a priestly work of Jesus predicted by Isaiah saying he's not just going to save and make himself accessible to the Jewish people, but all over Gentiles, everywhere. And then he says... Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told they will see. And for which they have not heard before, they're going to be able to understand. Paul's singing, aha, aha, what's that mean? Well, from the Kurdish people today to the Dai people today, there are people who haven't heard yet. In Paul's day, it was people in Spain. Nobody had gone there with the gospel. Then Isaiah 66, verse 18 the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come, and they shall see my glory, says God. And I will set a sign among them, that's Jesus, and from them I will send survivors to the nations that have not heard my name or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. Paul's reading this stuff. What he's thinking is, I'm catching this wave of gospel momentum from when Christ burst onto the scene in Jerusalem. And Paul knows there's a ripple effect. It's moving. It's dynamic. The gospel is spreading. And Paul wants to be surfing on that last ripple so that he's first into new clear waters. That's the rub. 
He wants his ministry to be where there are no established churches that could reach the local people. Missionaries call this unreached. That means there's no church. David Platt says this. There's no self-sustaining church. He said, when we say unreached, we're not just talking about lostness, although that's real. We're talking about access. It means that they don't have access to hear the gospel. There's no church. There's no Christians. There's no Bible available there. So when Paul thinks of going, he's thinking of going somewhere where the gospel and the church is not, he's not just thinking about engaging other religions. Here in my neighborhood in Garner, I have a Muslim family that I'm friends with. Uh, our kids play, and um, they're great neighbors, man. They are really cool people, but we both agree that they are not followers of Jesus. They're not Christians. I share with them I'm sharing to a lost person, uh, but a missionary wouldn't say they're unreached because they have a church here that can reach them, right? I'm a part of it, and I'm trying to do it. But Paul is thinking in terms of no access to the gospel, that's Spain, and that's where I'm going. So I ask, how about you? How about you? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So logically, if the gospel is going to go where it currently is not, some of us are going to have to leave and pour ourselves out to go. Yeah, but how in the world do I know if that's me? Well, sometimes you don't. (laughs) It's hard. But I do like some help that uh, a guy named Lucas Burton says. Uh, he wrote a book, an article, and he, he, he talks in terms of pulling factors and pushing factors towards the mission field, right? So as you're asking the question, would God actually ever want me to go? Here's some push and pull factors that you can consider, right? Push factors first. You have a personal burden, Are you already burdened for a culture or region of the world? That could be God calling you to go. What about the internal witness of the Holy Spirit? In relation to a personal burden, do you just sense the Spirit directing you towards a particular place or a cross-cultural work? You can go on a short-term trip here. We try to provide those here at TCC. And see if the Spirit speaks to your heart while you're on those trips third push factor, and this is a big one, the confirmation of the body. Have you involved the leaders of your local church in your discerning process? Paul did that. We have evidence in the scripture, in Galatians 2 and in Acts 13, where Paul's coming up to the church and saying, I want to go. Where do you think I should go? And they're, they're sending him. You can do that here at TCC. We'd be happy. We did it with the Linville's. That's why a part of why they're there. Those are push factors. What about pull factors? These are things that seem to be pulling you into missions work. One of them oftentimes is just an awareness of the need. Simple learning of a need can pull you to the mission field. Here's a need. There are 8 billion people approximately on the planet right now. 8 billion. About 3.2 billion 
are considered unreached. Not lost, didn't say lost. I'm saying unreached. They have no access to the gospel. No churches, no preacher. More than 7,000 different people groups haven't heard the gospel. If you do the math, that's more than 40% of the total population of the earth. Those things can pull you. Let them pull you. Um, also an open door, another pull factor. Has a practical opportunity arisen in your life where you think God might be wanting you to go? Sometimes it's with your business. Sometimes it's with your school. Sometimes it's with your financial situation. Things are just practically lining up where, hey, I think I'm being pulled. That's just the question that I'm taking from the Bible, and I just want to lay it at your feet today. Is God calling you to go? But that's not all missions is. The other part of this is, is God calling you to give? All right, is God calling you to give? Here in Romans 15, there is certainly a biblical neon sign that's flashing pointing you to give to other ministries. Why is this? Well, I'm going to list three things here that I want you to notice about Paul giving from one church to other ministries. First thing is, first thing here is from verse 25, missions giving displays the mercy of God. Look back at verse 25 again and remember the context. In Paul's life, he's wrapping up his work in the east along this arc from Judea all the way to Albania, and then he was going on to Spain via Rome to engage the unreached. This is what Paul dreamed to do. This is what he's been yearning to do in his heart of hearts, based on his calling, his reading of the Old Testament. He wants to go to Spain. That's what he's wanting to do. Finally, God, you've released me to go, but then he stops. He pauses. Why? Because mercy called. Mercy called. Look at verse 25. At present, I want to go to Spain, but at present, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. Here's a man who lived and breathed evangelism, discipleship, church planting, but his heart also beats for mercy ministries. In fact, in Galatians 2, you can read in the New Testament, it's pretty neat. Paul is meeting with church leaders in Jerusalem, and they say, you know, we're happy for you to go out and spread the gospel. But remember this one thing, Paul. Remember there are poor people and poor churches among us. Don't forget the poor. Paul says what? <laughs> exactly what I want to do. <laughs> That's who I am. You're talking my language. That's what I'm eager to do. Why? Here's why. When you give your resources, you give your money, that's a physical reminder of the spiritual mercy God has given you in Jesus Christ. Not long ago, I sat 
and hosted one of the pastors from Moldova that we work with, the indigenous pastors. He came here, we ate, we sat down. I took him just downtown Raleigh. It wasn't a fancy place, it was a burger place in downtown Raleigh and I got him a burger fries. He starts eating it and he looks at me with kind of glazed over eyes and I say, hey, what's going on? This guy's my age, he's kind of my doppelganger. Uh, my age, has four sons and yeah, uh, doesn't look like me, but you know, I'm looking in the mirror here <laughs> and he just looks glazed over and I'm saying, What's wrong, man? He said, there is so much money here in America. We don't have this. And then he begins to tell me how his ministry is thriving, but he needs mercy. He needs some resources, and that's why we're partnering there. Example, this week, Moldova, they announced uh, their leader, uh, Sandu, she She's a good leader. She came out. She announced to the European Union, hey, we can't pay for our lights to be on in our houses. So we're having a blackout right now. We can't pay for gas to uh, heat our homes in Moldova right now because there's a war in Ukraine. They cut the energy off there, and we don't have energy. They need mercy. We must show surely the poorer peoples of the world the mercy of God through our physical giving. It's tangible. Something else to note about this passage. Missions giving highlights the unity of all ethnic groups in the gospel. Love that we're doing a class in two weeks. Not this week, but two weeks on ethnic harmony and reconciliation, all that stuff. Missions giving highlights that. The unity of the Jews and the Gentiles is a central theme to the whole book of Romans. We're closing it up now. Paul knows that. He loves that. And he writes, as he's starting new churches outside of Judea, the Gentiles are realizing their unity with the Jews. Look in verse 27. The Gentiles are getting it. The Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews. What's that mean? God gave Jesus first to the Jewish people. They longed for Messiah. They didn't recognize him when he came, but he came. And then they, through Paul and others, are sharing that spiritual reality, that spiritual Savior, with all kinds of other Gentile people, tribes, tongues, nations. And now they're sharing back. When they receive the good news of Jesus, they realize, I'm a kinsman with the Jew. Me here in Macedonia, I would love to give money over to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's what family does. What family does. In community group this week, someone was sharing, and I realized that person had the similar situation that I do, and it was this. They were sharing as we were reading through this text. They said, you know what? Where I grew up here in the South, I just learned from some people in my culture that we weren't supposed to really like people from the Middle East. Why? I was a kid. I didn't understand why, but they would just tell me, those people might one day come and take your jobs. We're not going to like them. He had that experience, and I was thinking, I'm glad you shared that because I had that same experience too. That's not the path of Christ. Here is the path of Christ. When I give to another person in Japan, Moldova, Ukraine, wherever we're giving, man, it highlights our unity, Gentile to Gentile. And, of course, we're united to the Jews 
That's a sweet, sweet thing. Think about how Paul makes his argument throughout Romans. He brings up all these precious realities that we have, and then he's saying, you share that with the Jews. Unity with Christ, shared. Adopted into his family, you're sharing that with the Jewish people. Election, you share that with the people in Japan. Justification, shared. Gather around his throne one day and worship, you bet, it's shared. So missions giving is going to highlight the unity of all ethnic peoples in Christ. The third thing about giving here from this text, missions giving is a delight to your soul. That's what you'll experience as you give to mission. I'm just going to read 26 and 27 again. And I want you to notice two things as I read it. Let me read it first, then I'll point them out. Verse 26. For Macedonia and Asia, they have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessing. First, notice the language here, because there's a nice balance. First, note the rightness of this gift. It is correct. Paul says, non-Jews, you owe it to the Jews. He also says, you ought to do it. There's a goodness, a God's willness to this. It is the righteous thing to do. It's what pleases God. But second, notice the impact it has on the hearts of those who are giving. Twice, he says here, as they're giving to hurting churches and ministries, they were pleased. Do you see that in the text? Their hearts are full of joy as they give. It pleased them to do this. Their joy in Jesus was deepened through missions giving. You might be thinking today, hey, that's something for them, but not for me. I don't have a lot of extra money. Well, actually, when you read through the book of Acts, this church who gave the gift in Macedonia, Paul says, by the way, they're extremely impoverished too. So maybe the famine didn't hit them as much, but they still believed to give from their poverty was a joy in Jesus. John Piper breaks it down better than I could here. As he relates how this joy transference can work, kind of a cycle of joy when you give. He said, the grace of Jesus overflows in his incredible generosity to redeem and give eternal joy. The grace experienced by the Corinthians and Macedonians, so they experienced grace. Jesus saved them by his offering, his substitutionary death, just like he can save us. He saved them and they enjoyed it. It produces in them an abundance of joy that overflows in their generous giving to meet the needs of the Jerusalem saint. So I'm saved, joy flows towards the Jerusalem saint which also produces joy for the givers since it's more blessing to give than to receive. This grace of providence produces in Jerusalem saints, now the people who are receiving it, they have an abundance of joy. And that overflows in thanksgiving to God. I received a gift. Man, I talked to Eugene after he was here and he spoke. We're giving to him. And he's beaming. Thank you so much. Now I can do ministry among these students in Ukraine. 
that overflows to them, but also for the surpassing grace of God is evident in the givers, in the Corinthians. And this is a whole gracious economic cycle. I'm enjoying God. It overflows in a gift to you over here. Okay, I'll receive it. Oh, man, God is great. Missions giving increases delight in God. Is God calling you to give to missions? I think he is. If you want to display the mercy of God. If you want to highlight ethnic unity. If you want to deepen your delight in Christ. I think he is. Yes, yes, yes. You just ask him how much. Finally. Is God calling you to do missions? Is he calling you to pray? Is God calling you to pray? Look down at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, Paul writing to Rome, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I might be delivered. Paul was a missionary in every sense. But he knew that every single one of us are not going to be going. He knew that. He knew that most of us would not go. But he's saying, join me in prayer. We can all strive together. My striving will be over there. Your striving will be here in prayer. You'll be on your knees pleading in prayer. You know, in 2 Corinthians, we can't do a missionary biography of Paul without noting the incredible experiences he had as a missionary that's listed here in 2 Corinthians. I'll just read it. He had imprisonments. Countless beatings, often near death. Five times, Paul said, I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers of rivers, dangers of robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil, hardship through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all you guys, for all the churches. Look, here's a guy who has no problem going. He has no problem suffering. But what is a problem for him is if these churches are not striving in prayer for him. He's saying, I'll gladly go. I'm happy to suffer. I'm not going to be successful unless you partner with me in prayer. He knew his deliverance was by God through your prayers. What about today? There's a modern-day missionary. His name is uh, David Sitton. He wrote a book called With Reckless Abandon, and he's just saying today missionaries face a lot of different things that you can pray for. Even if they're in Tokyo and not shipwrecked on an island, they have bounds of things you can pray for. Levi and Lexi just said one. Hey, we got to go learn language at different times of day, and that's really hard on our kids. Pray for that. Listen to what this guy, David, gives us some advice about praying. He says, people ask me to pray for missionaries. I tell them they need to be remembered daily because these kind of stresses are everyday reality. Sure, pray for the big things, that the gospel will advance through their efforts, 
that they will be sustained through loneliness, that the Lord will provide financial partnerships, that he will protect them from illness, those who can do them harm. Also remember to pray for the everyday thing, transportation to the market, strength to take tasks such as washing clothes, making meals, finding correct boundaries in relation to possessions and privacy, enduring the stress of long periods of separation. I pray for the Lord to sustain the relationship with him and with one another, with husbands and wives, and particularly pray for the children, pray for them as parents. A lot of ways God is calling you to pray. You know, as, as this sermon began, I introduced you to the ministry of John Getty and his wife. They were missionaries to the South Pacific. After he died, Getty had a biographer. The biographer wrote many things really good about him. You can read that biography. But he said, basically, this guy's reality, uh, his, his life can be summed up in three realities. If I had to sum him up really short, three realities, this is who this missionary was. The reality was that the love of Christ captivated him in his young heart. The love of Christ animated his missionary labors. And the love of Christ irradiated through this guy. And this year, as we wind down our study of Romans together, we entitled it, For the Love of God. Here's my final encouragement. Just continue to read through the book of Romans and let the love of God for you in Jesus Christ simmer. Let it simmer there. Yesterday, I was smoking some chicken. I went out there. wasn't smoked enough. Put it back in, let it smoke another hour, and it's pretty good. It's not as good as Rob's. Rob, the reader up here, he's got the best chicken. Mine's 38th best. But sometimes you just got to let these things smoke, all right? It's what you do with Romans. You read it, you pray it, you let it smoke in there, and see God's beautiful electing love. Meditate on his fatherly love of being adopted into his family. Glory in how you stand justified because Jesus is your substitute. Then let this divine love of God for you as evidenced in Romans overflow as you try to answer this question. Is God calling you to do missions? Let's pray together. God, I do pray. I pray that you would open our eyes to who you are and your love for us in Christ so that we would just ask this question, is God calling you to do missions? Only you can reveal this, God. Only you can make this happen. Be with our workers as they go. Be with us as we try to figure out how much are we going to give. Be with us. Sustain our prayers for these workers, continue to work. In Jesus' name, amen.